0: Today is Palm Sunday. It is the day that initiates Passion Week, and for us, uh, that's a really, really critical week in Christian history. Uh, And so, I'm really pleased that I get to speak to you this this Sunday. Um, uh, Village Church East is here with us, and uh, I'm the lead pastor of Village Church East. My name is Craig Jarvis, in case we haven't met yet. Uh, And I get the privilege of speaking on that campus every Sunday. Uh, But once in a while, we get to join together with you. This is one of those days, and today, Uh, while Michael's swimming with the dolphins. I get to actually, uh, actually he's preaching today, just so you know. He is working. His one day to work, I mean he can't, he's got to work, right? So he's preaching in California today. Uh, But I get to share the day with you and I'm really pleased that I get to do it because this is a such a critical week, such an important moment, an important moment in time. When I was in uh, college, uh, during my college career, I typically like to be as involved as I could be with a bunch of different things, including my schoolwork. And so I would sign up for all kinds of extracurricular activities. I would get involved with all these different things. And, and uh, for the first year, it was pretty good, and second year, it was pretty good. I, but I was I was wearing myself out. And so I'd come home for Christmas, and my dad would see me, and he'd, and he'd see that I was worn out, that I was beat. And, and uh, he, he, this one particular time when I came home for Christmas holidays, I, I can remember my dad... Pulled me aside and he sat me down and said, Craig, we got to talk. Now, when your dad says that to you, you know, it's not going to be good, right? You know, there's something bad coming up or, just, I, don't, I don't know, it's, it's not usually very good. So my dad says, to me, he says, Craig, we got to talk. He said, I've noticed something about how you're living your life now. You are so busy doing as many things as you can do that you're not focusing in on, on one thing that can really mean a lot to you and mean a lot to others. You're not doing one thing really well, you're doing a whole lot of things pretty well so I listened to him, and, and, um, and I made some changes because, because of that conversation, because my dad's kind of like Yoda that way. He's just very, very in touch with things and in touch with, with my life, and, and, and he speaks truth into my life so many times that that actually was not the only time. I've had conversations with him actually several times since then where, where he's just kind of had the same conversation with me that this time in your life is a really critical time enjoy this time, or don't just endure it, but learn what God has you to learn through this time so it's not wasted. Now, I don't know about you, but I have found that to be good advice basically my whole life, particularly when I'm going through a really tough time in life and I'm only looking for the light at the end of the tunnel. But God comes and he he reminds me of those words that my dad taught me so many years ago that said, you know, Craig, you're only in this time for a season. It will end. So this time is a critical time for you to learn what God has for you to learn through it. You might be somebody that has plates in the air all the time. You're juggling all these balls. There's a mixed metaphor for you, but you've got everything up in the air, and you're thinking to yourself, I, I can't possibly deal with all these things in my life uh, during this time, and then God throws you into a situation you weren't planning on, and the reason he does it is because this time in your life is critical for you to learn a little something that he has for you, and instead of wishing it away, if we'd only take time to learn what we can in the journey, we could grow through through those processes, and, and we, could, we could increase who we are. We could become better people through it, and we could actually even bless others. Palm Sunday is a moment of time for Jesus that is very much like this. He's been doing ministry now for three years, probably a little bit more than three years. He's been doing miracles. He's been Gathering together a crowd, his disciples, these ragtag group of followers that he has are walking with him everywhere. They've given up their lives and they've devoted themselves to the preaching of the kingdom and to even doing miracles themselves. And wherever Jesus goes, he's followed by this in- increasing, growing number of followers. Some of them just didn't, weren't interested in his message, but they liked the tricks. They liked the miracles. You can imagine, you got no internet, you got no TV. What are you going to do? you got to find somebody that constantly does magic tricks, right? And making somebody walk that can't walk, that's a pretty good magic trick. And so he was growing this following, and some of them were devoted, but not many. And they were, they were following him, and sometimes he would speak, and he would say stuff like love your enemies and, and pray for those who persecute you, and they'd, they'd backshelf that stuff because they wanted the good stuff, the stuff that was entertaining, And Jesus has done all of this to lead up to this moment, this day, this this pivotal moment in his life when, sorry, when he he would go through the streets, uh, through the gates of Jerusalem, and he would see this throng of people that are gathered there, and it was a big number of people. This was the time when Jesus' ministry would, would come to a culmination. It was a pivotal time for him, but it was also a pivotal time for us. All of human history would be changed this week, 2,000 years ago. So I want, your Bibles, uh, I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to uh, John chapter 12 and verse 12. We're going to start reading about this moment when Jesus comes through the gates of Jerusalem. This, this week, he's got less than a week to live. He knows it. The disciples don't know it. They think they're in for something different. The throng that's gathered along the streets, they don't know it. They think he's coming in and he's going to do some pretty amazing things, more tricks, more more magic, and they're going to really enjoy seeing him do a couple of these things because now he's on their turf. And Jesus has been putting off this time until this Palm Sunday, this Passover time, and this is the time that Jesus comes through the gates of Jerusalem. The excitement is building the throng has gathered, and in John 12 and verse 12, we're invited to peek in the window and see what it looked like. Here's how it goes. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Now, let me first of all tell you what the feast was. This was what feast was this? You should know if anybody was here last night. It's was Passover feast. This is the moment of time when they, the Jewish people would celebrate Passover, Last night we had the Seder meal here, which is a part of the Passover festival. And this Passover festival would last for a long time seven days. In the Old Testament, the reason that the Jewish people celebrate Passover is because when they were in uh, slavery in Egypt, they were crying out for delivery. And God sent them a deliverer, and his name was Moses. Moses comes to deliver the people of Israel. There are 10 plagues. The last plague. You know, you got the blood turned to uh, the water turned to blood, yeah, you know, other way around. Uh, and you've you've got uh, the frogs and the you've got the lice and all of those things. But then you come to the last plague, and the last plague is the blood. This is a moment of time when all of the fathers would take a a a, um, a lamb and they would sacrifice it, and they would put the blood on the top of the posts and on the side of the posts of their outside door, their front door, on the night of Passover. Moses told them if they didn't have the blood on the top of the post and on the side of the post that the angel of death would come and if anyone didn't have that the firstborn in that house would die. But if they did have the blood on the top and on the sides then the angel of death would pass over them. This is why the Jewish people not just celebrate Passover that night but they continue to celebrate it even today because it is a reminder to them that they have been slaves who have been set free. And the angel of death passed over them that night. And that was the final plague that bought their freedom. So they celebrate Passover, and in Jesus' day, they did the same thing. They were gathering together to celebrate this Passover. And it wasn't just a few people, it was a lot. A lot of people were gathered together on this day. Look at the next verse, verse 13. So they took branches of palm trees and went to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord even the king of Israel. Now, if you don't know what Hosanna means, Hashanah, the Hebrews like to conglomerate all like three words into one on a regular basis. Hashanah is actually three words. It means our uh, God save now or God save now please. Na is how you end a word if it, you want to attack the word please on it. It's not please like pass the potatoes please. It's please like I gotta have potatoes now, please. You know, it's that please. Hashanah means save now, please. Hashanah. The people of Israel had gathered together to celebrate Passover, and they heard that Jesus was coming. They had heard what he had done. They had heard that he claimed to be the Messiah. They had heard that he was doing miracles. They had heard that he was gathering together this huge throng, and they were thinking to themselves, perhaps this is the moment when the Messiah would come through, and Hashanah, save us. Now, they didn't want, they weren't thinking about like the condition of their hearts, the condition of their souls, because they were Jews. They thought they were good with God. They thought they were, they were born Jews, so they were, they were children of Abraham. They were ushered into the kingdom hands down. What they were interested in was being saved from their political enemies. Rome occupied Israel at the time. And so they gathered together on that day and they saw Jesus come through and they're crying out to him because they want him to save them, not from their sins but from the Roman occupation. They wanted to get rid of the Romans and they saw this huge throng. I mean, how could they miss? This was their best chance yet. The reason they threw palm branches down and their garments, if you read closely, they put garments and palm branches down is because way long ago in Israel history, this is how they welcomed kings, conquering kings through the gates. If the king went out and had a victory at war, and even better, if he dragged that conquered king behind him strapped to his horse or something the people would gather together and they'd throw palm branches down and they'd throw their garments down and they'd cry out how great their king was because he had saved them from their enemies this is what they were doing with jesus they were putting palm branches down and garments down because they thought he would save them from their enemies and they cried out "Hashanah, save now please he is the king of Israel. Now, there was another group of people that was in that crowd. This group of people had been working with these Jewish people for their whole lives. They'd been trained to do it. They grew up in the best schools. They were, they were the pastors of the day. They would stand up and they would preach to the people. They would make sure that they were doing the right feasts and the right festivals and the right sanctification processes. The people owed them something. They were keeping them their hearts right with God the Father. And so when those people saw Jesus come through and saw this new kid on the block, three years into his ministry, gather this huge crowd of followers, they felt very, very threatened. It'd be like the new kid coming in where you work, and all of a sudden the boss likes him a lot more than you, multiplied by a million. Jesus comes through the gates, and these Pharisees, these leaders, religious leaders of the people, see Jesus as a major threat to their authority. And so, you can see their fear in John 12 and verse 19. The religious leaders say, the Pharisees said to one another, look at this, verse 19, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. You see the fear there? These Pharisees were beginning to feel like Jesus was a threat to them. The people thought that he was Savior to them, and there's a clash of culture. Jesus has been using a phrase his whole ministry. He's been using this phrase on a regular basis when he he does miracles or when he he, uh, is asked about the kingdom. He would use this one particular phrase that constantly described where he was in his ministry. And here's a phrase. He said, "Uh, it's not my time yet. That's a regular phrase that he has used. But for the first time in his ministry, he begins using a different phrase. And here's the phrase, it's right in chapter 12 and verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, and here it is. The hour has come, or the time has come, for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, we have seen the opposite of this phrase several times. The first time we see this, the opposite of this phrase was in Cana of Galilee. Do you remember what happened in Cana of Galilee? Those of you Bible scholars, Jesus did his first miracle, which was water to wine, right? Some of you knew that really quickly, so I'm, I'm wondering like, why that would be the case, but that's okay. Water to wine is a good thing. So Jesus changes water to wine at Cana of Galilee, and when they asked him to do that miracle... He said, I can't do this miracle because my time has not yet come. Another instance, uh, Jesus is with his brothers and sisters. Did you know Jesus had brothers and sisters? Well, his brothers and sisters didn't believe he was who he said he was. I mean, wouldn't it be weird for your brother to wake up one morning and say, hey, I think I'm the Messiah. You would go, "Mm, yeah, okay. You'd want to get stones and maybe stone him, right? Well, that's how they felt about Jesus. You know, we know who you are, Jesus. Yeah, you're the Messiah. Uh Uh-huh. So Jesus had brothers and sisters who did not believe in him. And one day when they were going to the feast of Sukkot, uh, Jesus was preparing, um, uh, or his family was preparing to go, and he was going to stay back. And his family asked him why he was not going, and here's what he says. It's in uh, John 2 and verse 4. Simple, simple phrase. His response was, my time has not yet come. Later on, uh, uh, I'm not going up to this feast. Uh, sorry, John 7 and verse 8. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. On two other occasions... Jesus is accosted by the religious leaders of the day, and they were trying to kill him because he was claiming to be the Messiah, and that was a threat to their power. And, of course, this wasn't going to be the Messiah. I mean, remember who his mom and dad were, right? So they, they hear that he's, uh, he's claiming to be the Messiah, and they take great offense of that, and they try and kill him twice. On one of those occasions, in John 8, and verse 20... The Bible tells us these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because, and we're told, his hour had not yet come. But now we come to a different occasion. Now we come to the day, Palm Sunday, when Jesus does come through the gates of Jerusalem, when the people do claim him to be their Messiah when tensions have gone from zero to 10 among the Pharisees and religious leaders of the day, and there's about to be a clash, and today is the day that happens. 2,000 years ago on Palm Sunday, Jesus changes the language, and he begins to say, my time has finally come. What time has come? What is it about this time that Jesus wants us to know? What, why is this time so important? Like my dad would look at me and he say, Craig, figure out what God has you to learn in this time. If Jesus is changing his language from my time has not yet come to this is the day, then let's figure out why that's the case. And the first thing that we, we uh, glean from this, Jesus changing his language to now is the time, is this. Now is the time when God's kingdom is open to everyone. In, in uh, chapter 12 and verse 20, Jesus says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks, Uh, The Bible tells us, so these Greeks came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now, Jesus was a Jew, and Jesus was known to the Jewish people, and Jesus was threatening Jewish leaders. It was all Jewish people all around. But now the Greeks have heard about Jesus. How do you think they heard about Jesus? Well, probably news of these miracles had spread outside of the land of Israel to the Gentiles, to the Greeks, and it begins to spread among them that there is somebody spectacular that has risen up in Israel. These folks, notice, have heard of Jesus before this day. They heard of Jesus, and so they asked if they could see Jesus. This event is prophesied to us countless times in the Old Testament, when the Gentiles would be invited into the kingdom of God. Zechariah 9.9, 9, uh, it's quoted again in John 12 and verse 15 in this passage. Isaiah is quoted in this passage as well. In fact, in the Old Testament, there are dozens of prophecies about Jesus extending the kingdom of God to the Greeks, to the Gentiles. This time was prophesied in, in Genesis 3.15, Psalm 16 and verse 10, Psalm 22, Psalm 69, Isaiah 50 and verse 6. Isaiah 53, Zechariah 9, 11, 12, and 13, and even in Daniel chapter 2, we're going to be talking about this as we get into the book of Daniel a little bit more, and more in the apocalyptic literature in Daniel, we will see over and over again how this kingdom now is meant to be expanded to every tongue, every tribe, and every nation, outside of the Jewish realm, now available to the world. And the reason why Jesus is saying this time is critical is because this is a time when the kingdom would be open to the entire world. You don't have to fit a mold to get into the kingdom of God. My daughter, Abigail, wrote a paper uh, uh, just this past week, and she was reading it to me, and she said, what do you think of this sentence? And she read it to me, and I said, that is so where we're going on Sunday. Can I steal it and read it for the folks on Sunday? And she said, absolutely. And this is what she wrote. It puts the gospel into a small, concise synopsis. Look what She said, the Bible gives us countless verses, that prove that god has designed a complex wonderful plan to glorify himself through the work of jesus christ in order to save a broken people that's a good powerful sentence of what it means to believe in the gospel no longer is this an offer only open to a group of people like the jewish nation of course we need to know about the jewish traditions of course we can learn a lot from the seder meal like we had last night but this time, this time that we're in right now is a critical, crucial moment because this time is when the gates of heaven are open to the entire world. The kingdom of God has been wide, widely open and the offer goes out across the world and the Greeks that were in Jerusalem that day knew it. They knew that Jesus would be for them too. Now I need to tell you there's some that could not or would not believe. Just like in our day today, there's some that could not or will not believe. In John 12 and verse 39, it says that there was a group that simply could not believe. Their eyes were blinded and their ears were stopped, and they just could not believe. There was also a group that would not believe, and this is one of the saddest verses, I think, in all of Scripture. John 12 and verse 42, some of the Jewish leaders would not believe in Jesus because they didn't want to lose their power. They're standing. And here's what it says. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Isn't that the saddest verse ever? And yet I want you to know that that verse rings true in our generation today as well. There's some who will not believe just simply because of what they'll have to give up, what they'll have to confess, who they'll have to lose in relationships, what they'll have to lose in their prestige in their workplace. There are things that keep people from making decisions to come to Christ. And this verse, powerful 2,000 years ago, is still applicable to today. Here's what I want you to learn. Today, I must live taking advantage of this time because now, today, now the kingdom of God is open to the entire world. It's open to everyone and that includes you. Now is the time, number two, when forgiveness is openly offered to me. I can't tell you how many people I know that won't come to church. I've talked with them at different times, and they said, yeah, I'll come come to church one of these days. Let me just straighten up my life before I get there. And they don't understand the importance of, of church. Church is not a place where we come because we're all perfect. Church is a place where we come because we know we're broken. We come to this place because we know God brings us healing through Jesus Christ. And that starts with having our sins forgiven. We can't pay enough to forgive our own sins. But Jesus Christ died on the cross so that we could be forgiven. And so if you come to this place, this church, or you come to Village Church East, and we talk a lot about Jesus Christ, now you know why. Because we know we're desperate people. And had it not been for Jesus Christ, we would be an unforgiven people. Jesus comes and he offers us forgiveness. And this is the time, today is the day of salvation. This is the moment when you can have your sins forgiven. It's a moment of time that began way back here, way back in Jesus' ministry, but it's a time that continues even to today. It's crucial for us to realize this time is important for us to receive forgiveness. God the Father affirms his plan to offer me forgiveness through Jesus' death. John 12, verse 27, read down a little further, verse 27 Jesus uses the same language. Now is my soul troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But it's for this purpose I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven came and said, "I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again." The crowd that stood there and heard the voice said that it thundered. Do you ever wonder what God's voice sounded like? Like this is my beloved son. <laughs> you know, I don't think it was like that. You know, it thundered. This is my son, and in whom I will please. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice is not for my sake, this voice is for your sake. God spoke from heaven three times, and all three times it was to compliment his son, Jesus Christ, and it was never so that Jesus would go, oh, okay, I'm the son of God, I didn't know that before. He knew who he was. It was always for the purpose of those who were standing around who heard it. God the Father was affirming, this is my son. Listen to him. God the Father affirms Jesus and his role that he plays. Notice he does not affirm certain other people, namely the religious leaders who were standing around. I don't know about you, but I can just see them going, oh, this voice from heaven affirming the new kid on the block. I can't imagine how that must have hurt their pride. Can you? God speaks from heaven. He must gonna be talking about me. I'm the greatest Pharisee on the street here. And he affirms Jesus. Not these Pharisees that were gathered around. When Jesus was doing his final Passover meal with the disciples, he echoes this same language. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven in John 17 and verse 1, and he said, Father, the hour has come, the time has come. Glorify your name. Jesus' death would attract all those who need forgiveness. Hebrews says the cutting of his body would be the very thing, the door that all must come through in order to receive forgiveness. This is the moment of time when Jesus would be cut off from the land of the living so that those who are dead can come to life. This is a culmination of Jesus' words when he says, This is the reason I have come into this world. Jesus' death opened the door wide for all to receive forgiveness. Look down in verse 23. Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Here you have the language again. This is it. This is the hour. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus purposed in his death to bear much fruit with the drops of blood that fell from him. It would fertilize the ground that we live off of. And for us, it would raise up a generation and another generation and another generation a church, throughout history and throughout time. John 12 and verse 32, read down a little further. And when I am lifted up from the earth, Jesus says, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. Do you get this? Nobody knows what's going on this Palm Sunday except for Jesus Christ. Nobody knows what's going to happen except for Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who knows how this week is going to end. Jesus knows that in five short days, those who are crying for his glory, those who are crying to make him king, would kill him and cry for his blood. Jesus is the only one who knows. Jesus uses the most despicable of activities in order to draw a world to himself. I don't know about you, but I've, I've thought long and hard about this. When we, If we were to do a, 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 an event that would draw people to Jesus, we'd pick like somebody great to speak, like not me, maybe Michael. No, Tim, uh, Pastor Tim. No, we'd, well, who would pick Tim? Tim Tebow, another Tim. I don't know. We'd pick a big name, right? We'd get a big name. We'd fill a stadium. We'd get lights and smoke and sound, and we'd use everything we can to attract people to Jesus Christ. But that's not the message of the gospel, The message of the gospel is that we are attracted to the most despicable of of symbols if we want to be attracted to Jesus Christ, and that's it right there. It's a symbol of his death. It's a symbol of his agony. It's a symbol of his suffering. When we come to Jesus Christ, we come to him through the cross that he died on. We come to him through the bloody, messy experience of Calvary. And when we come to Jesus Christ, the magnet that draws us to him is not lights and it's not wonderful sound and, and, and words in the right places on the screen. It's none of that. The thing that draws us to Jesus Christ is that he would love us this much, that he would go to the cross and die for us so that we could be forgiven. The bottom line here is that he was judged so that we don't have to be judged. And Jesus' death, Glorified him to a place that nobody else has glorified because you can't pay for your own sin even with your life. Jesus has paid for your sin already with his. And the church constantly points to the cross on a regular basis. Our A. Torrey says, Preach any Christ but a crucified Christ, and you will not draw men for long. Jesus' death led to his resurrection, and this is the final victory over my sin. We're led to, to see this in verse 16 of chapter 12. As His disciples didn't understand what he was doing at first. But when Jesus was glorified, that's after he was raised from the dead. Then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. And so the second thing I would say to you is this. I must live taking advantage of this time. Because now is the time when forgiveness is freely open to me and to you, to everyone. Listen, there's no hole you can crawl in that's deep enough to get you out of the grip of God's saving grace. Three, now is the time for me to escape being judged. This flows so easily with what we just talked about. Verse 47, if anyone hears these words of mine and does not keep them, Jesus says, I do not judge him. is that crazy? If you don't keep Jesus' words, he doesn't judge you. For I didn't come to judge the world, but I came to save the world. In John three seventeen, it says, the world is condemned already. We just don't know it. Jesus didn't come to judge the world. He came to rescue us. This is a moment of time for me to escape being judged. God would judge Jesus guilty of sin, not his, but mine. Every sin that I've ever committed in my life, every sin that you've ever committed in your life, every sin before Jesus was crucified and after he was crucified, the sins of your children and grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren, if they come to Jesus Christ, teach them, please. Their sin does not have to be judged by them. It's already been judged and paid for because of Jesus Christ. He was judged guilty, so we are not guilty. Jesus, with this act, this, this act of love, puts his shoulder to the gates of heaven and pushes it open so wide so that anyone who believes can come in. And no one can claim they were prevented entry. This is a time for us to escape judgment. But notice how Jesus refers this as a time of judgment still to come. In verse 48, Jesus says, The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. This is not a moment of time when we can get out of being judged and and we can go to heaven and and there's no consequences because the world in which we live, they don't understand the saving grace of God. And the word that they reject, that they will not or cannot hear and accept, that same word will judge them on the last day. So this time, brothers and sisters, is crucial. This is our crucial moment To stand up and be the church because the world is going to burn. This is a time when we are not judged because Jesus was the one judged guilty for us. But there will come a time when we are judged. And if you're sitting here thinking to yourself, well, I'm not sure I'm ever going to see God someday, can I just help you with this very gently? You will. Every one of us will. You most definitely will. And on that day, there will be judgment asked to be paid. On that day, I stand before God and I say, God, I know that Jesus paid for my sins, and I throw myself on his sacrifice. I've asked him to cover my sins with his blood, and I am coming to you through the testimony of Jesus Christ. That is the only judgment that can ever pay for my sin and for yours. The key is here, I must live taking advantage of this time because now is the time for me to escape being judged. Now is the time the world can escape being judged. Quite honestly, we escape judgment by crawling out on the back of a broken and bloodied Savior, Jesus Christ. Now is a time when I can be rescued for good. There's a double innuendo there. Uh, I can be rescued for good. I can be rescued once and for all for good, and I can also be rescued for righteousness' sake. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, the light, of the, the light is among you for a little while longer. Yeah, he said that, a little while longer. He was only going to be with them for a little while longer. They didn't know what was coming. But we still are in the place where the light still shines. Do you know you're the light of the world? Did you know that? This little light of mine, you remember that? Yeah. You're the light of the world. The light is still here. This church shines a light when we do the extravaganza. We're going to the world. We're still here. Opportunity for us to be rescued, still available. You can escape judgment. It's still here. You can be rescued for good. It's still here. The kingdom of God is open to everybody. This time is still here. Take advantage of it. Jesus said, "The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. This is the time when Jesus is gathering a family together and that family is the church. This is the time when we have brothers and sisters around the world that are gathering to praise the Lord just like us today. And this is the time when the kingdom of God is expanding and people are being added to the church on a regular basis and freed from their sins and freed and released from the judgment that their sin would bring because it's cast on the back of a broken savior, Jesus Christ. Today, two of those churches were bombed in, in Egypt. Two of those churches, Coptic Christians, that gathered together this morning on Palm Sunday, two of them and dozens of people died. Those are our brothers and our sisters. We don't go through that here. Not yet. It may come. But those are still, the church exists around the world. They're still our brothers and sisters. And when we hear things like that, it breaks our heart because we know that the church is still, is still shining, but still being persecuted in some places very, very hard. I'll tell you what happens out of those persecuted churches. The light shines brighter. Those are the moments when we see redemption and evangelism and people coming to the Lord like never before because this is the time we live in. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 2 We're told in the Bible, for he says, a favorable time. In a favorable time, I listened to you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. This is the time in which we live. The day of salvation. So what I would ask you is, why not take advantage of this amazing time Why not give your life to Jesus? Why not start living your life for Jesus? Why not follow him and be attracted to a bloodied cross so that you can receive forgiveness and escape judgment? There are two reasons, and we've already read them why. Why people will not make this decision. Remember those two worst verses in the Bible? Let me read them for you one more time. John 12 and verse 42. Nevertheless, many of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, They did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Two reasons why people will not accept accept this free gift of salvation. One is they fear. They fear what they'll lose. They fear their prestige. They fear, fear what will happen in their families. They fear what will happen with their friends when they make this decision to come to Christ. In some countries, they fear that they will lose their families. And that they will put their families at risk for coming to Christ. Fear. And two, losing prestige. Losing the place that you have in life now. Just like these guys way back then, it's amazing how that verse written so long ago still applies to our generation today. And people choose not to follow Jesus because they will lose their standing in life. They'll be mocked, they'll be looked silly, be made to look silly. Every TV program that comes on kicks Christians to the curb, and now they'll be included in that group and they don't want to be. And for those two reasons, they're kept from walking through this widening gate to heaven. So close, and yet so far. There is a time coming when Jesus will rescue us once and for all. The real question is, will our voice be in the chorus of people who are being rescued? For Jesus Christ so here's the key I must live taking advantage of this time because now is the time when I can be rescued for good I must take advantage of this time I'm convinced that Satan gets us so busy in life that we miss pivotal moments we miss moments that really matter and then we grow up right now that I have kids and we grow up and I'm growing up and I'm thinking how did my kids get to be this old think of all the moments I just walked right and I didn't take advantage of. Am I the only one? Do you feel like that too? Or or maybe you're younger and you're thinking to yourself, oh, I can't wait to be 25. I can't wait to be 30. I can't wait to be 35. And we pass by our lives and and before we know it, boom, it's gone. Pivotal moments that we constantly walk by and and even events in those moments that we don't take advantage of. Listen, I want to tell you, in this spiritual way, in, in your spiritual life, this is a pivotal moment for us to take advantage of. If you're an unbeliever, you only have a limited time. You can put it off like putting off taxes, but eventually April 15th or 18th will come and your taxes are due. You can put it off as long as you want, but eventually you will see God on that day. Are you ready? Did you take advantage of this time? And if you didn't, is it because you would not or because you simply cannot? I would encourage you to run to the cross. It may just look like a piece of wood here, but for those of us that know Christ as our Savior, it is a symbol of deliverance. It is a symbol of freedom. It's a symbol of love. It's a symbol of grace. And we would invite you to become a part of this growing group of Christians around the world, those who follow Jesus Christ. Let me remind you again, there is no hole too deep you can crawl into. You may think I'm the worst sinner possible. God would never have me. Let me just tell you, one of the best things God does is he takes people from the deepest pits and he brushes them off and he uses them for his glory. You can be used in incredible ways. There's no place you've fallen far enough that that you're beyond his reach. And if you're a believer, here's my, my, my commendation to you. Mike, I'm compelling you. The reason we want to live for Jesus Christ is not so that we can prove we're something and everybody else is losers. The reason we live for Jesus Christ is because their life depends on it. They need to see a visual of Christ in the short time that they have because now is the time for their salvation. And if you're messing around with sin or you're walking the line really close and you're thinking to yourself, I don't have to be all in, I can just keep my toes in the end of the, of the shallow side of the pool, I want to encourage you, you got to jump in head first, not so you can be a pastor or preacher and work on Sundays, but so that you can, you can give your life to Jesus Christ and you become more of an image of Jesus Christ because your neighbors, your friends, your family, your co-workers, all of those people that have yet to know Christ depend on the example that you give them of a Christ who loves them and who gave his life for them and is willing to take their punishment away from them and is willing to accept them as his own family and is willing to forgive them and is willing to rescue them that's what it depends on it depends on our example of jesus we don't live for righteousness because we're any better we live for righteousness because without that where's the light going to ever shine this is the time church i encourage you to take advantage of it come to christ live for christ Because this time is coming to an end let's pray father i'm grateful for the time we get to look into your word and read about this crucial moment in history the pivotal moment that changed human history for good palm sunday there's so much that happened today and so much of it confusing and not clear but for you in your mind you knew everything that was going to happen and you still chose to come. You still chose to initiate this time. So I thank you for that. I thank you that you voluntarily came on a mission to save us from our sins. And I pray, Father, as we have heard the story one more time on this Palm Sunday, if anyone doesn't know you as their Savior, that, Father, you would you would speak to them in, in visuals and in... in, in in ways that they had never thought possible, that you would, through your Holy Spirit, land this message gently on their heart and pull them from the darkness into the light. Help them to give up the old ways so that they can become new in Jesus. I pray that if there are some gathered that don't have yet to sell out to you that they're a Christian, but they're getting to heaven by the skin of their teeth, I pray, Father, that they would sell out, that each one of us would join these ranks so that we would become better images of you for the sake of the world around us. Oh, that we would lead people to Jesus, that this generation would see revival. And may we be the brightest light that we could ever think possible. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.